God often reveals his truth to us, whether it is about himself, us, or the relationships therein through the natural world. This is revealed to us by Paul in Romans 1, 19-20, which says, For what can be known about God is plain to them, because God has shown it to them. For his invisible attributes, namely his eternal power and divine nature, have been clearly perceived ever since the creation of the world in the things that have been made, so they are without excuse. This is also true for man-made things such as film, and I would like to show how he does just that in the Marvel Cinematic Universe. Welcome to Oh How Marvelous episode 24, and today we will be talking about the movie Black Widow. So this movie came out just about two years ago now, and I remember at this time, at, at this point in time really, I was living with my sister and my brother-in-law up in Indiana, um, and I was up there for a job, which my brother-in-law recommended me for, and I got the job, so... I'm thankful for that, but also I was going to a different church. Obviously, I couldn't go to the church at home because it was hours away, but uh, while there, I joined a young adult small group, um, and so I kind of became friends with them and those people, and uh, we went together, uh, a few of us went together to go see this movie in theaters, um, and I remember thinking going into this film um first of all it's pretty late to give us a black widow film especially given that the infinity saga pretty much is over and she made her entrance in phase one i was definitely initially disappointed with how the movie turned out but after some time um it took until after i watched it when it came out on disney plus to realize hey, this isn't not so much a movie about Natasha as it is about Yelena. And it makes the movie make so much more sense here. It's Natasha's farewell, but also Yelena's grand entrance into the MCU. And I really love Yelena. She's one of my favorite new characters from Phase 4. And yes, we are starting off Phase 4 with this movie. I know it started off with Black Widow, or not Black Widow, um, this is Black Widow. It started off with WandaVision, but I kind of wrote the devotionals for Black Widow and Shang-Chi already, so I'm just going to do this and then Shang-Chi next, and then we'll pick back up into the release order. Um, and by that, I mean there are some films that came out in the middle of a series. For instance, Hawkeye um, did not finish up until after Spider-Man No Way Home came out. I think it was like Hawkeye Episode 5 came out, and then that weekend it was Spider-Man No Way Home premiered, and then Hawkeye finished the next week. And so, in that case, I'll be talking about No Way Home, then Hawkeye. And so, I... So, uh, just examples like that. And so, I 
I'm looking forward to talking about Phase 4 of the MCU with y'all. Um, and then I think at the end of um, my Phase 4 reviews, I will give my rankings and ratings for Phase 4 in a separate episode following. So I, I can't wait for that. But yeah, I remember for Black Widow, I was disappointed with how it turned out because I had such high expectations. Um, especially still living off the high of Endgame, even though it was three years prior or two years prior um, that it came out. Um, and then Far From Home was really good too. And so I, I just remember anticipation and expectations were high and they were not met. So I was just kind of disappointed with it. But you know what? After watching it yesterday, um, the you know you go into a movie with such expectations and then you kind of compare it to those expectations of what it turned out to be. But now that I knew what I was getting into and I haven't seen it in a while and there's no talk about the movie for several years now, um, like I really enjoyed the film for what it is now. Um, Yelena's hilarious. Um, Natasha is very emotional, and this is a very dark movie, honestly, and it's just, I really enjoyed my time watching it last night, um, there was no expectations needed to be met, just watching the movie for what it is and enjoying it, and I really loved it. So, let's get into it. Um, first of all, I just want to get my gripes aside, because, um, again, they're fewer than there are, um, my love for the movie. So I had only two gripes here. I already mentioned the first one. It was too little, too late. Um, I think this, especially given that the MCU in phase two and three were like on a roll and had things going in chronological order and, and with order of release too. Um, I think that it kind of messed with the rhythm of that, of people getting used to that, by having a movie that's set between Civil War and Infinity War come out in Phase 4, even after Endgame, and Far From Home, um, and especially having such a long hiatus due to COVID um, from the Marvel movies, uh, it just kind of off-put the rhythm there. And so I think it was too little too late but I'm glad that they did finally come out with a movie for Black Widow. And now, that being said, the only original Avenger who doesn't have their own movie um, is Hawkeye. And yeah, he got a show, but at the same time, it's kind of like how this movie was really Yelena's big entrance into it. Hawkeye was more so um, Kate Bishop's big entrance into the MCU and... Clint Barton's farewell kind of deal. Um, we might see Clint Barton in the future of the MCU still, but it seems that he's kind of retired at this point. Um, but, I mean, given what we got in Hawkeye, it's not out of the question to have him return. But, yeah, it was too little too late. My second gripe with this film is that um, Taskmaster was a really cool character, as far as I could tell, from the comics and they really changed the character up. Now, I get that this was his, was the character's big entrance into the MCU 2. Um, and I'm, I'm excited to see what they do with the character moving forward. Um, 
I think originally in the comics, Taskmaster didn't really have anything much connected um, within their story to Natasha or any of the Black Widows. But um, it was quite a surprise to have Taskmaster really connected with the Widows within the MCU here. Um, and so I, I really enjoyed the character of Taskmaster. It kind of gave some depth to um, the character. Uh, I forget who Dracoff's daughter's name is, but um, yeah, it turns out to be her. And um, it really cuts a little bit deeper emotion into Natasha at the end of the film, too. I love that what it brought to the table there. But yeah, Taskmaster was really changed a whole lot, and it didn't really rub a whole lot of fans the right way. But kind of in retrospect, I can understand and respect Marvel's decision there. Um, I do like Taskmaster. Um, it's really cool to me that there's a character that can mimic one for one uh, people's fighting style and uh, their fighting moves too, uh, and just by watching them. And um, it really was really cool to see the moment where um, she's kind of watching footage from what we know as Civil War, where which is the most recent footage that she could get honestly, at that time, because Infinity War hadn't happened yet, obviously, but it was the most recent footage where she could see Clint Barton fighting the Black Panther, and she was gathering data to um, fight like both of them, and I think that was really cool to see that connection there. Um, plus, like, to have task to have someone that can mimic your best friend's fighting style to fight you must be like, I don't know what emotion it might invoke, but like it, it must be off putting for Natasha at first. And it's, it's so weird, but yeah. Yeah. But th those are my only gripes. Um, so moving on to my likes and my favorites, um, let's start off with a character. Honestly, I love the whole family, first of all. Uh, Melina, Alexi, Natasha, they're all great. Um, Rachel Wise, David Harbour, I mean, obviously Scarlett Johansson. They all do such a great job in this film, and I, I really enjoyed them play out their parts. Um, and even with the whole switcheroo between Nat and Melina um, was um, fantastic and a great plot twist. Um, it wasn't a big plot twist, but it was pretty cool to see it play out um but obviously my favorite character come on you gotta love yelena like her sarcasm is what i'm thinking in my head every day if like yelena is if my intrusive sarcastic thoughts were to um win out every time and so i loved yelena she is hilarious um amazing um and i, I love her little quip with uh natasha about being such a poser and then the moment where she does the thing and she's like oh i feel so disgusting but um <laughs> uh, i i just love yelena she's a fantastic character can't wait to see more of her in the future i loved seeing her in hawkeye i'll get to that when i get there but um yes uh yelena is most certainly easily my favorite character in this film so as for my favorite scene Honorary motion, or mentions, um, 
are like the very first, not the very first scene. It's right after um, the Ohio sequence in the very beginning of the film. It's when Nat is tricking Ross. Ross thinks thinks he has her, but really he's she's just on a boat and fling away but I, I really like that sequence um and in that sequence there's a lot of my favorite quotes there too and i'll get there um another honorable mention here um is when natasha and yelena fight in budapest and i really love this for mainly the reason that it shows that like we've already seen how great of a fighter that natasha is and this just really shows that Yelena fights equally as well. Um, and with the same fighting style, obviously, because she's also a widow. But um, this kind of shows, like, hey, there's not just this one person who could fight this well. We got Yelena, too. And so it's really cool to see um, a combat equal of Natasha um, to make her entrance to, like, kind of replace that and so i really enjoyed that um the last honorary mention um scene here that i want to talk about is the family dinner because it gets so emotional and you kind of see the repercussions of like the fake family dynamic from ohio and how it plays out in all their lives um moving past that and um you see Alexi trying to be so proud of himself about the Red Guardian stuff and how he felt like he did well as a father. Um, and then Melina um, just continuing to try to be a mother. And you see that um, for Nat, like the whole thing she knew was fake. So she tried to compartmentalize the whole thing for herself and tell herself it was fake, it's fake, it's fake. Um, even though at the end of the movie, she admits to Yelena that it was real for her too. And with Yelena, like her emotionalism in this scene where she's like, guys, she, she feels so hurt by this whole conversation here because not only did everybody else um, not try to make it feel real for themselves, but she it was real for her. The whole family dynamic scenario was real for her. Because um, that, that was all she had ever known up to that point. And then she tells Melina, you know, the, the people that you have subjugated to my control, that was me. And the emotionalism in that moment, too, was just fantastic. And I, just that whole scene was um, emotional amazing uh well done but uh my favorite scene um had to be uh when natasha is facing drakoff by herself and uh, i especially love the moment where she's like you weren't strong enough so i'm gonna have to do it myself and see so she like slams her face on the table to sever the nerve and like her fight against um drakoff like her quips against him like, you know that she was thinking about it, like, the whole time. Like, the moment that she learned that Drakoff was still alive, you could tell that she was, was starting to think of things that she wanted to say to him. And um, 
And so that's why I love that scene. That's my favorite scene there. As for my favorite quote, um, first of all, um, you have the quote, pain only makes you stronger, uh, said first of all by Rachel Weiss's character, uh, Melina, in the Ohio sequence um, when young Yelena um, bruises her knee. Um, so, And then Natasha kind of calls back to it at the house, or at Molina's house in St. Petersburg. Um, but, uh, yeah, I, I love that, and I'll get into that, into the biblical portion of this episode. Um, second quote I want to talk about here <laughs> comes from the moment where Nat escapes, um, or Secretary Ross, and uh, she says, what is this, your second triple bypass? And I was like... <laughs> And in retrospect, given William Hurt's passing, I was like, oh, it's kind of weird. But I, I think that was an hilarious line. Um, I, I love seeing Natasha's humorous side in this. Um, and it, it kind of shows how she's coping with the whole situation, too. Um, and I love that um, the next quote here is that Ross calls Scott Lang the incredible shrinking convict, which <laughs> is amazing. Because I also think it call, kind of calls back to his first appearance in the MCU being in The Incredible Hulk, calling him calling Ant-Man the Incredible Shrinking Convict. So um, I, I kind of liked his quip there. It was hilarious. Um, and then the next quote I like from Yelena is when she starts being sarcastic. Um, is, so you want me to chase him down and unsteal it? After Nat's like, you can't just steal someone's car. <laughs> and so, you know, like, that's the first sarcastic line we hear of Yelena in the MCU, and that and that just starts a whole line of sarcasm, and I love it. Um, and the last honorary mention quote here is, this would be a cool way to die. <laughs> again, another one of Yelena's quips, and I, it's just hilarious. <laughs> this would be a cool way to die. And then she kind of says later on, when she's in the table in the red room, um, about this would not be a cool way to die. <laughs> and so, um, yeah. Also, just seeing how Yelena copes with these horrible situations, just the immense humor that she has. Uh, but my favorite quote in this movie, because it, it just really um, gets into a really deep thought here, it's when Melina is talking to Natasha at the house, and uh, she's about to reveal to Natasha that she's already worn the red room at their, of their presence. And she says to Natasha, Tell me, how did you keep your heart? And I think that this is one of the best thought-provoking quotes within the entire MCU. She says, Tell me, how did you keep your heart? And I might get into this biblically later, um, but I just really love... Um, the yearning that Melina has here because it it shows me personally that she wishes that she were to be able to keep her heart um, through what she's been through. Um, and so she kind of wants the same thing that Natasha had. Um, she wants that same vigor of keeping her heart. And um, I think that that's what helps drive her to help take down the Red Room. And um, that that desire 
to have that heart because uh, she knows that what she's been subjected to was wrong and that Drakov is an evil man. But um, I just love how much of Melina's character it shows to ask Natasha that very question. And as for the general things about this film that I liked, um, I already mentioned this, I think, but I loved when Melina and Natasha did the old face swap switcheroo thing um, and how it <laughs> made uh, Alexi kind of angry about um, having poured out his heart to Natasha, but it turns out it was Melina the whole time. Um, and so, like, and it makes you kind of feel for Alexi because you know that he really wants to restore that relationship and then he wants to make up for all of his wrongdoings as as fake as it was as a father. And, um, and so I just really love that switcheroo. It was a nice little plot twist um, that um, helped make the movie that much more interesting. And the next thing, the last thing I want to talk about here within this film is that I really loved, um, like, whenever they're in Budapest and you see, like, the hints of what actually happened in Budapest with Hawkeye. Um, like, as far as I can tell, the story is that um, she, that Natasha was in that safe house, whatever, um, when Klimp came in and shot at her with the arrows, hence the arrow holes in the walls that Yelena thought were bullets. And um, she says, what kind of bullets make that size a hole? And she says, not bullets, arrows. And then, as far as I could tell, Hawkeye shoots at her. Um, a fight ensues. They end up um, kind of coming to an agreement. As, or Clint kind of sees, hey, she wants out of this as much as... Um, yeah, she just really wants out of this thing. And so, eventually, um, he ends up with her in that subway station... And um, they kind of hide in the air ducts that Elena and Natasha are hiding in. And then they just kind of get away and she deflects the shield. Um, and so uh, I love the little bit of story that it creates as far as what happened with Hawkeye in Budapest. Because um, we've all been longing to know ever since the Avengers when um, that's like, it's like Budapest all over again. And then Clint's like, we remember, you and I remember Budapest very differently. And <laughs> so I love that it gives sort of those hints of answers for us. It doesn't really tell us the full story because that's not, that doesn't help with the plot of this current film. And so um, I love that it did that. And so I really enjoy this movie. Really great movie. Um, I love seeing Yelena come in and I love seeing David Harper's in the MCU now, so that's kind of cool. But, um, yeah, I think that's it for my general thoughts on the film. So I shall get to the devotional now. It reads, In Black Widow, Natasha Romanoff goes on a journey of redemption through dealing with her past. She reunites with a family that she has known since childhood. This redemptive process started taking place when she first joined S.H.I.E.L.D. before the events of Iron Man 2, the film where she was introduced. At this time, she blows up the building where the man who forced her to be raised into an assassin, Drakov, was in at the moment. 
His daughter also happened to be present. Natasha had always resented that Dracov's daughter had to be collateral damage. Back to present day in the film, she is reunited with her sister, who tells her that Dracov is, in fact, not dead, as Natasha had previously believed. In the process of trying to take the Red Room down, the place where they were both raised to be assassins, they end up fighting someone who has the keen ability to mimic one-for-one one the combat moves that they watch, known as Taskmaster. Towards the end of the film, Natasha is face-to-face -face with Dracov, with Taskmaster in the room. He has Taskmaster take off a helmet, revealing them to be none other than Dracov's daughter herself. Upon realizing this, Nat immediately tries apologizing to her for blowing her up, knowing that, as he had control of herself and her sister in some form, he had control of her as well. Oftentimes, we can find it hard to forgive someone for a wrong that they've done to us, especially when that wrong was an ongoing thing like it was a lifestyle for them with a long history. Sometimes we find ourselves in Natasha's situation and realize that we have done someone else wrong, in which case we are quick to ask for forgiveness. In the Bible, Jacob, the son of Isaac, asks his brother Esau for his birthright in exchange for some stew to which Esau agrees. This eventually stirs resentment amongst them for many years, Genesis 25, 29-34. Later on in life, when they both were married with many children, the two brothers reunite. In this reunion, Jacob asks Esau for his forgiveness, and Esau responds with love for his brother, Genesis 33. Both Jacob and Natasha had realized that they had done something horribly wrong and earnestly asked for forgiveness. Both Dracov's daughter and Esau accepted the apologies. In both instances, these acts of humility on both parties redeemed the relationship between them. It is important to remember that forgiveness is a matter of the heart. Don't wait until the party who has done you wrong asks for it. The point of forgiveness is not to help the forgiven be redeemed so much as it is about the one wronged being set free from resentment and hate. After all, it is what Christ did for us on the cross. He forgave us even when we didn't even ask for it. Have you wronged someone else before? Will you genuinely repent to them personally and ask for forgiveness? Has someone else wronged you? Will you genuinely and personally forgive them, even if they don't regret that wrong? Have you accepted Christ's forgiveness for your sins? Will you do that today? So I just wanted to emphasize here my point about forgiveness being not so much for the redemption of the one forgiven, but for the breaking of the chain of resentment and hate for the one who offers the forgiveness. Um, and so uh, it's kind of backwards of how we really think about it because right now it's like you think about forgiveness in a sense of he's the one who did wrong. He needs to admit it first, and then I'll forgive him. But in a sense, when you have that kind of attitude, you're kind of being wrong yourself. Um, you're giving a distance to that relationship, even though you feel justified in doing so. And um, you're just kind of letting Satan win in that scenario, really. Because what it's really doing is creating hate and resentment in your heart by not forgiving them, first of all. And maybe if you think about it, Maybe the thing that might bring them to ask for forgiveness is to be forgiven first of all. 
to see the wrong that they have done, to be forgiven, first of all. Because um, when we show others mercy for what they've for the wrongs that they've done us, um, it will set an example for them as to say, hey, I, I was wrong here, and um, you are such a better person than I am in this scenario here. Because even though I did you wrong, you still forgave me, and you still want to have a great relationship with me, or whatever the relationship was before the incident or accident, whatever it was. And so... Forgiveness is not so much for the restoration of the one forgiven as it is for the restoration of the one who offers the forgiveness. Um, Because it's kind of like a marriage relationship, really, because like we're the bride of Christ here, right? And so there's compromise on both sides um, because... When you are the one being wronged, that doesn't mean that whatever your response is, it's a good response. Um, You could have a resentful response, and that creates darkness in your heart. Um, And so, when someone does you wrong, first of all, look in your heart and ask yourself, how does this affect our relationship? First, yes, but also, how does this changed my view of this person. Um, maybe they were having a bad day and they just lashed out. And you're, you see it a totally different way as in, oh, you're seeing their true colors. And when that's not really the case, sometimes people harm you because they're just having a bad day and as soon as they did it, they resented it, but they didn't want to admit it because they're scared of how you might react to you ask for the to them asking you for forgiveness um and so that's where mercy comes in getting what we don't deserve or, or not getting what we do deserve and also just more so grace getting what we do not deserve which is good um now uh revenge is kind of the flip side of the grace coin where grace is getting something good that we don't deserve Revenge is getting something bad that we don't deserve. And so there's always a flip side to that coin. And that's all I'll say on the devotional piece there. Um, but So now we can get on to the biblical themes other than that that I've seen through the movie. The uh, first one I want to talk about here um, is talks about the value of having free will. Um, this kind of first comes up when... We see um, Yelena being freed by the red substance um, from Dracov's control. And um, it really shows the night and day difference between being psychologically controlled by someone, having your free will taken away from you, and then immediately having that free will given back to you. Um, Which, that is true freedom, when you have free will to make your own choices. Now, I do have a video of this on my personal TikTok channel, um, and it's not necessarily talking about the value of free will. The The question that I talk about there is, um, why would a good God create evil? And the answer to that um, 
is not so much about why would a good God create evil, but it, if you have to really understand the answer to this question, you got to rephrase the question, first of all, because it is not in God's character to create evil at all. Evil is just a corruption of good, right? And so the real question here is, why would a good God, if he's all-powerful and all-wise, why would he allow for evil to exist? And the answer for that is free will, in my humble opinion. Um, if we have free will, we are free to make the decisions we please. But if we are under God's mind control, we have no power. There's no power, no motivation um, behind making the good decisions or even the bad. Um, and so say that um, God calls us to care for the orphans and the widows, right? Let's, let's just use this as a hypothetical example. Um, if we are under God's mind control, we would just automatically care for the widows, orphans, give money to the poor, all that. Um, but there would be no value behind that. It would be a boring world. We'd all be doing the same thing. Um, but when we have free will to do so, there is value and perspective and learning and growth that comes from doing so, from giving to the poor and needy and taking care of the orphans and widows. And so free will has such great value for us. It allows us to make good decisions and bad decisions. Without making the bad decisions, we wouldn't have value for the good decisions that we have in life as well. Um, we kind of see the eternal repercussions of this because of Adam and Eve's decision in the, Garden of Eden, in the Garden of Eden to eat of the fruit, which the serpent tempted them to do. Um, so when we do make bad decisions, we have consequences because we have the free will to have had made the good decision otherwise. And so... There are consequences for our decisions, whether good or bad, depending on how good or bad our decision is. Um, and, and that's where wisdom comes into play. That's why Solomon asked God for wisdom, because he realized the power that wisdom has over a kingdom. For one man to have wisdom has great power over how a kingdom takes play um would if if solomon had decided not to follow in his father david's footsteps um israel's history would probably look a whole lot different or maybe not a whole lot because there was a lot of kings that followed him that um just did not want to obey the lord uh, with a few exceptions of course um i'm actually kind of reading through second kings and second chronicles right now about the um, lineage of the thrones of Judah and Israel. And uh, you have all throughout Israel's history, you just have evil king after evil king after evil king, worshiping pagan gods. And then in, um, in Judah, you have, you have some evil kings, but every third or fourth generation, there will be a good king who wants to follow the way of the Lord. Except... They'll have some sort of um, 
bad trait about them where like sure they want to rebuild the temple but then they go on and worship other gods later on in their life um like king joash um i think that's the right king um and so uh the value of free will is that we can learn and grow through making our good and bad decisions whereas if we're just robots we don't learn and grow we just continue doing on what we do um it's monotonous and boring. And so free will gives, makes our lives interesting. Um, the next biblical theme that I want to talk about um, comes from the quote um, that Malina tells um, young, Lena, young Yelena and Natasha, where she says, pain makes you stronger. Um, and you see time and time again in Scripture, where it talks about the Christian suffering. Um, it says, Don't be surprised when you face trials of many kinds, for that produces perseverance. Um, and time and time again, whenever it talks about our suffering as Christians, it's, it's telling us that it's to bring God glory. Um, brings glory to God. Um, because through our suffering... We can still show that God is good. It is because we suffer sometimes that God is good. Because, again, it kind of plays out kind of like how free will does. With free will, when we make bad decisions, we grow to learn the value of having made the good decision. But when we suffer for Christ, we see the value of God's goodness to us. Because when we see that evil in the world... It shows us just how valuable God's goodness is. When we suffer for Christ, as Paul said, to live is Christ and to die is gain. And what he means by that is that to live, we must live as Christ did. Christ suffered. Christ got mocked. Uh, he got chased after by the Pharisees trying to be taken down. Um, yet he kept um, dodging their bullets, so to speak. Um and to die is gain, and that means to die is to gain glory, to be glorified with the Father in heaven. Um, although we won't be to his glory, to his level of glory, but we will be glorified along with him. Um, we will be, um, as Jesus sits at the right hand of the throne, we are co-heirs with Christ. And so we are brought into heaven as co-heirs. And so, to live is Christ, to die is gain. When we suffer for Jesus, when we show our devotion to the Lord in that way, we show that we do not want to back down from Christianity. It shows that this Christ God, God is real. And first off, if we're not willing to suffer for Christ because he first suffered for us, um, then we're not honoring his sacrifice for us. And if our suffering brings others to repentance, that is a win. That is such a win. Um, because they see that we are devoted to a God that we see as very real. Um, no one dedicates themselves to a God that they believe is fake. No one goes so far as to be willing to um, be tortured or killed for a God that they believe is fake. Um, and so... When we suffer for God, we are honoring God in that way. 
um, because Christ first suffered and died on the cross for us. And who are we to do any less to bring others to Christ? Um, Yes, to live is Christ, to die is gain. But the Bible also tells us that um, if if we are not willing to lay down our lives for our friends, then we don't really have any love for them. And, And that is the thing that God has for us. He is the ultimate love for us. And the second point I wanted to make here in this little bit is that when we do suffer for Christ, it can help make our faith that much stronger. Um, like the disciples themselves, the, the well, I want to say the 12, but the 11, um, they, they did not die easily. Um, they did not have easy deaths. Um, maybe John did. He, he probably just died of old age on the island of Patmos. But all the others, like, they suffered horrible deaths. Peter was crucified upside down. Um, There was one of them, I think it might have been Philip, who they attempted to boil him in hot oil. Like, boil him in oil. But he somehow survived that scenario. Um, And so he suffered greatly for Christ. They all did. Um, If Jesus wasn't truly the Son of God... They would not have been willing to undergo such excruciating, painful deaths. And um, that in and of itself is a testament to the reality of Jesus as the Christ. And so we can only grow through um, our sufferings in Christ. Yes, um, it is possible that um, our sufferings for Christ can bring us to the wrong conclusions about who God is. Because sometimes we don't see the things that God does for us and God does in our own lives. Um, And those silent, unnoticed things being ignored can really make us think, is God even out there? And that can be a totally understandable thing. And that is the importance of counting our blessings every day, every week, every hour. Um, And... um, And that can also be the importance of coming to church every week, too, um, so that uh, we can share what God's doing in our lives. Um, We we can hear what God's doing in other people's lives, Um, whether it's uh, shaping their life or how they have um, grown in their understanding of Scripture, how you have grown in your understanding of Scripture, which is why I encourage you to pray and read your Bible every day. Um, I'm currently... I've been a Christian my whole life. I'm 26 years old, almost 27. And last year, I read through the Bible in one year. It was, um, you had, it was going through the Old Testament, going through the New Testament, and then going through Psalms and going through Proverbs. Um, So I had an Old Testament passage, New Testament passage, um, a segment from Psalms, and a few verses from Proverbs every day. Um, Now, I learned a few things because that was my first time reading through the Bible. So I learned a few bits of Bible content. But this year, I am reading through the Bible chronologically. And so, for example, I didn't really have a true understanding of the meaning behind uh, the writings of the minor prophets like Obadiah, Joel, Nahum. And um, now that I'm reading through the Bible chronologically... 
I understand at which point in Israel's history and who was reigning at that point um, that the book of Obadiah was written and what it's talking about. The book of Joel, what it's talking about. And it just really helps me get a chronological understanding of the Bible and what these prophecies meant for the time that they were written and how these prophecies eventually and ultimately point to Jesus as the Messiah. And so I, I am excited about that. So, yes, reading your Bible every day can really help you understand um, what Scripture is actually saying and the context um, to help you further understand it um, more responsibly and uh, more accurately. The last point I want to make here um, from a biblical perspective um, comes from like just the forming of the family um, because as I've said earlier in the episode, the family unit was fake, right? And so Natasha, Melina, and Alexi all, all knew this. Um, and, and maybe even Yelena. But they all made a different choice from Yelena. Yelena decided, I'm going to embrace this family because this is the only family I've ever known since my memory. Whereas Natasha, Yelena, or Natasha Melina, and Alexi all knew it was fake, and so they tried to not embrace the family unit, even though Alexi tried being a good father to Yelena. And Melina tried to be a good mother to her, too. Um, but it, it did create that tension in that one scene uh, with the dinner, at, at the dinner table. And so God created the family unit, right? A man will leave his father and mother and be one with his wife. And then a man and wife are to have children. God tells us to be fruitful and multiply. Now, that verse not only means to grow a family, um, multiply, um, have kids kind of thing, but it also, in modern day, can be translated to grow the church, bring mothers to Christ, disciple them, that kind of thing. But back to the family, um, the nuclear family being one man, one wife, and children. It doesn't matter how many children you have. Some people will say that does matter, but... I personally don't believe it matters. As long as you have children, you're obeying God's mandate to be fruitful and multiply. See, Satan, I've said before too, that evil is just a corruption of good. And so Satan likes to take that family unit and try to twist it. And so he tries to twist it in a way that he knows fits our human desires, our fleshly desires. Um... So that we could build a family in our own image kind of thing. He's building a family in his image and it's not holy. Um, and so that's just kind of what the, the family unit here kind of reminded me of. Just the corruption of what a good family is supposed to look like. It wasn't a real family. But at the same time, Jesus said to his disciples and even a crowd, he said, Who is my father and mother and brother? Or who is my mother and brother and sisters? Or Yeah. And he said, he's basically emphasizing within that story there that 
your faith family should be more bonded to you than your blood family. Now, if your blood family is part of your faith family, that is fantastic. That is the goal, too. But if your blood family isn't part of the faith family, then cling to your faith family. Um, for they are who will point you to Christ ultimately. So that is all for the biblical um, piece there. Um, and so... Thank you for listening. Um, thank you for opening up phase four with me here. Uh, if you would like to join the Discord, please um, give me a shout out. Uh, message me on any of the social medias. Um, I would love to get you in on the Discord. Um, you can also email me at mcudevos at gmail.com. And I will give you the invite link there. Also have a TikTok at Oh How Marvelous Podcast. Go check that out. Have a YouTube as well where I also post this podcast and also a little few short clips where I just notice a little few minor details of the MCU or see something that's cool or whatever um, through the MCU, and I'll post it there. Um, it's at Oh How Marvelous, I think, um, something like that. And so... Um, yeah, check out the Facebook and the Instagram pages as well, MCU Devos, for both of those pages. Uh, thanks for joining me. We'll see you next time when we talk about Shang-Chi and the Legend of the Ten Rings on Oh How Marvelous. <laughs>